Today is our second wrap-up episode for Dead House Gates, and in this one, we will be spoil we will be spoiling the entire series. So, if you have not read the main ten books and care about spoilers, I would not listen to this show. So, uh, goodbye, maybe. Hello, and welcome to 10 Very Big Books, a Malazan read-through podcast. My name is Peter Bond, and with me today is a special guest on the show. Uh, He's made the PowerPoint guides that we reference on the podcast sometimes and can be found out in the community. His name's Tommy, and welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? It's it's going good. It's going good. Uh, I botched the intro, as (laughs) I usually do, but it it is what it is, you know? It works. It works. Yeah. So, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, when, when did you first read these books, and uh, about how many times have you have you read the each book in the series? Well, I think I started reading these books about five years ago. I mm. started off actually starting off reading fantasy. I think during my sophomore year of college, I read Name of the Wind first, and then Mistborn, mm. and I was like combing through the Goodreads top hundred lists. See, so want to read? Sure. I read the first four Wheel of Time books, and I really get into that. But then when I started, yeah, I, that that's so funny. I stopped them after those first four too. Yeah, yeah. I think I stopped like right hundred pages into the fourth book. I was like, no, nah, this is not for me. Yeah. But then when I started Gardens and Moon, they came in the same Amazon box, and I was hooked in that one. I was really intimidated yeah. when I first started. Oh, did Gardens and Moon really catch your eye? Yes, it did. Oh, the reputation behind the whole series was really like intimidating. Keep people saying it was like really, really hard yeah i think i'm like one of the only ones on the entire subreddit that actually likes gardens and moon it's it's like there's this rare contingent of people who actually really like and listen i couldn't be happier for them honestly like it's it's nothing but good vibes like you know i'm so glad you know yeah there was a thread a long time ago that were like someone was trying to have each person rank each book from one to ten, yeah. and I was on only. I was still reading the Cripple God at the time, but I was like the sole person that had like Guardians of the Moon at number one spot. Yeah, that's yeah, that's very interesting to me. I yeah, uh, it's pretty weird. E- even after rereading Guardians of the Moon, it's it's a book I appreciate more, but I still like it. Doesn't it excite a passion in me? Like I I felt I find Dead House Gates does or um. Midnight Tides really does, and I just reread Toll the Hounds, and the reread changed that entire book for me. It, like, blew up my <laughs> mind. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, how many times have you reread some of the books in the series? I actually reread only up to Memories of Ice, actually. I read the whole series once, and then I read up to Memories of Ice before I decided, oh, I'm just going to make a companion guide to all these things. Mm. So I read the first three books three times. So you, so you're, the companion guide came out of the rereading in a way. Yeah, because I wanted to track everything I'm reading and I didn't want to have to go back and reread everything twice because sometimes the wiki, even though it's really great, there's a lot of like bald spots in it. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to, like something to help easily track everything that happen and that's how it was born well i think the community has gotten a lot out of it and i think a lot of people appreciate it so i hope so i kept writing in that i made these things help indoctrinate other fantasy readers to help them i i do think they're a bit of a gateway yeah yeah the first three books are always the biggest hub until people find their stride into yeah. the series. I, I do think that's true. I think if if you're making it all the way through Memories of Ice, I kind of can't imagine you 
not seeing it further through, Damien. Like, because mm-hmm. if if those three books aren't for you, I don't, uh, I I don't know. If you don't like Memories of Ice, I don't know what to tell you. That's basically how I feel. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's really good. I think it hit harder when, like, even the third time I read it, it was like hit harder than the second time and then the first time. Yeah. So that that brings us to Dead House Gates and kind of because we're gonna we're gonna have the freedom just to spoil any part of the the series, but um, you know I, I we'll be talking primarily about Dead House Gates today, and um, hmm. I would love to know. Um, I had a conversation with some people on the subreddit the other day about it, and um, I would love to know what you think. Like, what stands out to you? A difference between reading Dead House Gates the first time and rereading it. I can think a ton of a ton for me, but I'd love to hear what you think. To be honest, for me, I think I have like the opposite reaction to most of the subreddit because it was kind of hard for me the first time to get through Dead House really? Gates. Really interesting. Yeah. Why is that? I, no, I think I got a lot confused because um, when I read books. I'm not too much into the combat. Mm. And this is kind of like Dead House Gates is kind of like the war gamers. It, it is the first time kind of the military, one of some of the more military aspects of the series come into the fold. Yeah, I think the the things that helped me get through it or that really stood out was pretty much Mapo and Akarium's friendship yeah. between those two and Escarlopez's comedy between and all those little hints that like they he dripped throughout the book about the world in general. Yeah, that's to just hone in on the, the some of the hint stuff, especially with the holds and then some of the first empire stuff. Like, yeah, the the first time through that stuff is just I completely ignored and I had no context to understand exactly. it whatsoever. But you know, obviously the second time through, you're like, okay, I you know, like yeah, I mean, there were concepts that I didn't really realize until because like I thought holds were introduced in book five and. The, legitimately nameless ones yeah like and nameless ones are introduced in book six but then when you read it i was like oh crap all these things already were already introduced here in book two in the beginning yeah it's like, it's wow. like in it's like in gardens of the moon when i though i was reading again and you're reading about akarium's timekeeper in darujistan i was like oh shit yeah. i didn't know we were talking about akarium <laughs> in gardens of the moon i mean yeah. um some of that stuff just slides right under the radar and and that stands for a lot of the hold stuff and then also some of the the Haboric stuff, you know, I, I, I'm interested to see House of Chains. I'm sure that'll bring more of it to Chris, the clear to me. But the first time through, all of that plot line was entirely incomprehensible to me. You know what I mean? But it was know, sort of mysticism. That was actually not too bad for when I first read it. There was a lot of like mysticism and hooks you into like, there's some mystery behind things and you don't need to really understand it completely. It's just really interesting to see where it goes. And, and I think that's... To me it was. And that's I I think there that there is mysticism is a word for it, and I am okay with some of the. I feel torn because sometimes there's a fuzziness to some of the logistics of magic, or there's this unknown element to it. But then when I feel like I'm being asked to know about it, or like I I don't know I don't know that much about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because it's pretty. It's like I think there was another conversation that popped up asking if it was. If Malazan was a hard or soft magic system, and I think soft magic system is the word to describe it, is how they've described it too, because it's very loose with the rules. Like Brandon Sanderson would be hard magic. There's hard rules and set and how things work, like yeah, Mistborn yeah. and Stormlight, which is a totally different pace. And I think not to kind of derail us into to a conversation about the magic, but maybe we should. But I think for me, it. it I'm not one for the minutia of it, so it doesn't bother me at all. And I also think a lot of the times the magic of the book of these books is really being used in 
a thematic and kind of emotional way and like the specific plot like like i always think about the aerosol thing or whatever however you say the aerosol from Mm -hmm. the later books like is there any groundwork for that not really do i care not really i mean because to me it's more evoking things and it's evoking these emotions and you know whether we're playing by these some rules people want to think about i don't know i don't i don't care about that yeah that's that's my i don't know I feel like he's using the magic in a in a metaphorical way more often than like as some sort of elaborate rule system, you know? Yeah, I don't mind, mind it at all either if I don't understand how magic works or even or even need to know that there is a concrete system of the way magic works in yeah. the series. Because Erickson did say before he did, he does intend to keep the magic system a mystery because that's how it hooks you in. And I think it's the same kind of argument when you're saying how you don't might not understand how all the technology works in like sci-fi series, like far in the future, things might not exist yet, but you don't know how it works, but it just works in a way. Yeah. And I think that it retains some of the wonder to it when you're kind of talking about otherworldly things, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't know even how like technology works. I don't even know how circuits or like, like coding works at all, but I'm okay. I know that it does work somewhere. Someone outside does work. Yeah. I know how to work it. Twitter works and I don't need to know how to code. <laughs> anyway, anyway, we kind of we kind of got we kind of got in the weeds there. Um but yeah. It's very interesting you bring up the military aspect of the book because um to just pick out the chain of dogs for a bit, obviously it's um I I feel like it is the centerpiece of this book, you know, it's interesting the second time going through how much when I reflected on the book before, I kind of just thought about this as the Chain of Dog book and then other storylines occurred, you know? Yeah. But Clam's storyline is is very robust and it's kind of a traditional kind of adventure story. Like he has all these friends and he goes, he's on a pirate ship and then, you know, like he's in the desert. There's a kind of a, I don't know, there's an yeah, adventurous element to it. And, and I don't know, it, it, it's a bigger story than I, I looked back upon. Do you, how, like, do you, did you think of it just as the Chain of Dogs or do, uh, it sounded like you were really catching on to some of the other storylines? I think, I think I was latching on to more of um, Fiddler's group and trying to find Tremor lore and thought that Chain Dogs even was just happening in the background. That's interesting. And, thought, and then on the reread, it was like, wow, these things have weight. Yeah. Because in the future books too, like when they reference back to Coltane, it's like, Whenever, even just like mere mentions of Coltane has weight to it. What's to know what happens at the end of Deadhouse Gates? Yeah, and, and, that's, and you feel emotion tied to him. Yeah, and it's interesting because whilst the characters carry on and like you know, obviously Mapunakarim is a major through line in the series. Like Coltane and the legacy of the Chain of Dogs and the Wiccans and blah blah blah. That is kind of the biggest legacy that kind of comes away from Deadhouse Gates. You know, I guess I guess Tavor and Fellison's thing but um i feel like more i don't know that's just such a major through line especially if you talk about grub and nanny nanny you get it Mm -hmm. yeah and there's so much variety to it i think it's like the first book shows that it's like really a weird strange sword and sorcery kind of world in genobacchus and then we get introduced to the seven cities campaign and this feels way relatively way more low magic than Gardens of the Moon. It showed like a different part of the world in the Malazan series on the other side of the planet. It, it really does. And, and I, and yeah. So I think for me, one of my favorite parts of this book is the setting. And I think Seven Cities is a much more tangible place than Genabacus, you know? Exactly. For me. Yeah. 
Because there's mostly about human conflict in Seven Seas. Like, it's kind of like taking a book out like the Middle Eastern Wars. Yeah. And how that goes. Because most, most of the characters, like, sometimes you f- they'll face, like, Talanamas and um, the shamanistic magic bringing about ghosts from the Seven Seas content. But it was mostly humans. Yeah. I think what's so great about the ghost magic, to, to pick up on that thread, is... You know, Seven Cities, part of the texture of that continent to me is the hidden civilizations like lost beneath the sands. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think about the whole series of the book. Exactly. And it's so, th- yeah, I don't know. It's so tied into the series especially as a whole. And I think evoking past grief, especially with the, you know, I just reread the end of the book, obviously. And especially yeah. the, the, like the grieving jag jagged that um Tyker meets uh past the river vathar and you know I, I don't know there's a there's a kind of eternal sorrow to the land or just a kind of i don't know a cycle in a way oh yeah i was the ghost the jagged ghost that was haunting corporal list right yeah 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 that guy that guy yeah even even jaggets have more depth to them than you'd usually think from the first book yeah ja- ja- jagged jagged are very interesting i we uh, I, we've yet to record the final episode, and I so I don't know how Josh and India feel about the end of the chain of dogs yet, and it's killing me. I got like four days. I'm really dying <laughs> to record this episode already. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, <sighs> I can't wait to hear that too. Because I listen, I've been listening to you guys' podcast past couple of days. It was really interesting how you guys are reacting to several different things. Yeah, well. It puts me in it sometimes, and, and it's kind of nice. People tweet at me who obviously have read the books, who like will notice mm-hmm. when I'm like sidestepping. Like someone was, pre- uh, they were pressing with me about whether Coltane was ascendant or not, and I kind of just ignored the question. And I mean, like, there's just oh, times the I have- he punched. Um, yeah, he Gessler. punches Gessler. Yeah. That part, I don't think he did. I think the biggest part to take away from that was Gessler's one, Gessler's when he went through the. Yeah, the, with his skin. Talon. And his skin was um, tempered by the fire and they were all bronze skin. I think it was more about showing that Coltane, just being human mortal, he still is strong enough to make a near ascendant bleed. Just showing how badass Coltane is rather than showing, oh, he's going to be ascending. I, I agree. It has to show. But to me, I think, and it goes to, in my mind, I conceive of ascendancy not as really of a yes or a no thing, but kind of almost like a dimmer. I mean, it's not like a switch going on and off. It's like kind yeah. of a thing that grows over time. So, mm-hmm. I mean, Coltane certainly has a lot of followers and belief behind him, you know? Yeah. I don't know. And that's that's the type of stuff that like uh, th- those g- getting into that minutia is not for me. Um, <laughs> Um, and anywho's, so you mentioned that one of the first times through, you you particularly uh, caught on to Mapo and Acarium, um, and that caught my ear because for me, uh, the first time through, I was so attached to the Chain of Dogs, and it was like the main storyline I cared about, and I didn't really understand Mapo and Acarium's story, and I didn't really fo- get why I was learning about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but after finishing the series as a whole, obviously, I, I don't know, I, they're 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 central characters. No one's a main character, but they're very important. Um, yeah, and I I really found a lot more to grab onto, and I was much more invested in their storyline this time through. So, what what do you uh, what do you think stood out to you about the characters that first time reading the book, or on subsequent rereads, where I think obviously your context of those characters changes? I think I just really lashed onto them because of how much Mappo loved his friend. It was like a very loving relationship between the two that you don't really see much in other books. Like people are always like suspicious of each other 
or thinking there's someone else's internal motive or always arguing with each other. But these two are always showing like super wholesome love. And that yeah. was like a really refreshing thing to see, especially in the book as dark as the Malazan series. Yeah, it's a uh, there is the complicated, you know, like there is a more complex element to it that com- complexifies their love. You know, I don't need to recount the book. Uh, but yeah, um, I do know what you mean that it is. It is like a crisis of love that Mappo has and like how to deal with the truth of Akarium and also his love for his friend. And I think that is, uh, yeah, I I think I, I really understood that journey more this time because I wasn't so lost about why we were mm-hmm. following these people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. They're, I think they're like the first people we meet too when we first did the book one of the first people we meet and then i think after the prologue i do think they start that we we've meet that first on seven cities yeah yeah and they also have like this reputation from all the other characters they meet like other soul taken like mesram and yeah it is, Darth, i think mm, i think it yeah like Relind- i think relandars is also it was so funny since i i really love return of the crimson guard so it's very funny mm-hmm. to see relindris back in this one I need to read that one. I haven't read any ice books yet. Oh, really? I read. Yeah. I, was, I was planning on to like doing this huge reread and including those books. On my first read of the series, I weaved in Night and Ives, Return of the Crimson Guard, and Stonewielder. And Stonewielder was the only one I regretted reading. I mean, it wasn't bad. Yeah. I mean, I hmm. I didn't enjoy, I didn't enjoy it that much. But um, the other two I thought added a ton to my read of the initial series. So I I plus I think in my in my opinion. I was really attached to Lacine and the Empire, and I was kind of surprised and thrown thrown off by a way how they kind of sink into the background and become irrelevant. Yeah, you know what I mean, because the the series itself is called the Malazan Book of the Fallen, and for the rest of the series, there's not much of the Malazan Empire in it. Um, it'll be very interesting, I guess, in like two years when the podcast can talk about the end of the series, but um. You know, because in my initial conception of the series, it was very imperial focused and imperial politics focused. But it's it becomes clear that Erickson is the story's much bigger than that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, more like I just happen to have some characters from the Malazan Empire and then go do some great things. But it's not yeah. about the Empire itself. Like, exactly. I don't know what the capital city looks like. Yeah. Well, it's because we don't spend that much time in Unta, right? Probably like a couple, like even like half a paragraph just in Deadhouse Gates and. Yeah, we spend some time in Deadhouse Gates and Bone. Uh, like we, we, we show up every now and then, but yeah, um, it's never like a main stage. Exactly, it's not like Durujistand or Lethari, mm-hmm. Letharis. Lether. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do think Seven Cities is my favorite of the three major settings. I think I'm a fan of Gen Beckis just because of memory device. It just like so much expanded so much upon. I, I'm on, I'm honestly so excited to revisit Memories of Ice. I haven't read that book in like four years, and I, I think it's just I don't know. I, I adored oh, the book so the first good. time. Yeah, because like when I first reread the Memories of Ice, mm-hmm. we're getting kind of traffic, but we got to Coral, and I thought this could have been the end of the book right here, but then it's just it's literally like the forty nine percent mark. Exactly. There's Another entire half of the book to go. Oh, do you mean Capistan? Like oh, Capistan, yeah. Coral's yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. 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 And it just no, blew my mind how, like, I'm holding the physical book and half of it is still going. I, I 100% know what you mean. And I feel that way about um, the Battle of Yigatan and Bone Hunters, too. Um, yeah. How it's like, 
the book is so thrilling and climactic and explosive. And you're like, damn. And we're not even, we're barely scratched the surface of this book. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And especially since Memories of Ice, I feel like has like, I don't know. I, I generally feel like Memories of Ice is about as, <sighs> that, that book's really good. About as perfect. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, he could have ended the series there. And same with Deadhouse Case. There are a lot of, like by the end of Deadhouse Case and stuff, you still feel like it would have been an okay point to like stop the series, but it just keeps going on and on. Yeah. It's tough because I think like I love Midnight Tides, maybe my favorite of the series. And I know we're really off topic from just talking about Deadhouse yeah. Gates, but I really liked it in Midnight Tides too when I first read it. Yeah. Um but I guess what I think's interesting about books two and three is like I don't know how someone could not like those books. Do you know I mean <laughs> like I love Toll the Hounds, but if someone says that's not their cup of tea, I basically understand it. Do you know I mean like I can understand yeah. how this book is not for everyone? But I mean, Memories of Ice, I don't know what else you're looking for here. Do you know what I mean? Like that's Yeah, I think people are just overwhelmed by all the information that they're on at them. Yeah. And which is kind of why I created the companion guides to all the books too. Yeah. When you do first read it, it's, it's hard to siphon out, okay, this is important and this is just trivial information that just adds flavors of the book. It's not it's really hard distinction when you uh, first read it. I, I agree. And and there is a lot of detail and it, it can be hard to get to decipher. Yeah, like there's a lot of things that he really emphasizes on that could only appear on just that chapter or even a character that you think is important, but never shows up again. Yeah, and I think even that too is something that you do need to get adjusted to in the series. How it's just like, well, we just hard cut to the baker down the street and this is, the, <laughs> you know, and it's like, there's a reason and a lot of the times it is a, is a, is a them, thematic thing or we're just kind of having a fun in a way. But yeah, I think it explains like the scope of the series is like, it's really huge and sometimes... There's things you'll never find out. Like the there's a lot of unnamed characters too. Like um, the insane mage that went after Culp. Oh yeah, and that took him into the yeah, the yeah. Mason Warren. And I was actually uh, reading it again this time. I was like losing my mind. I was like, wait, is this a <laughs> character I should know? It feels insane that I don't know this character. But exactly, you know, just just uh, just chilling out there, just some mage, you know. Yeah, sometimes there's just random forces on the world that can uh, that so, just hinder you. Let, let's let's hone back in on Deadhouse Gates because we we kind of we got lost in the sauce yeah. a bit. Um, so, how did you feel about Felicin their first time, and did it change the second time you read the book? Oh, I thought she was a bitch the whole time. <laughs> oh my god! I think I'll think her. I don't think because it. I do understand how she needed to use sex as a way to get what she needed, and she used it more as a tool of empowerment to get what she needed from like Beneth and the people in the Skull Cup. And then there's a point where Bowden tells her that, oh, none of the things she did actually helped them. It was the favors they did for the Dosi guards that yeah, but, helped them but survive. And I, I don't know if he's to be believed there for the record, you know? Yeah. I think it was just a really interesting thing because now we'll never know what actually happened, but it's always like a point of contention to discuss about. It's always which a question is, in your mind. Which is good, right? That's the most interesting way for Erickson to have set up the situation, you know, for it to yeah. kind of have that give and take, right? Yeah, like um, I've read this book four years ago and I'm still thinking about those things in my head. Like that's the effect of those books. Yeah, and I think in our interview with him, he said something very interesting. We were talking about Phyllis and he's, he said it's she's a character that demands a judgment from the reader, you know? Yeah. 
And I, I think that's a great way to put it because, you know, most people fall on all on some side of it all, you know? Yeah. And, you know, some people are in this like, oh, she's very sympathetic, but of course I don't support what she does, you know, thing. But yeah, like yeah. I think she's a bit, but I still like her a lot. Yeah, they're not they're not mutually exclusive thoughts, right? Yeah. And it was interesting because Erickson did say it was one of his favorite characters to write and how a lot of the series is very gender equal equality between the two genders. Yeah. And you still have things like prostitution and things like that. And it sometimes goes both ways too. I think there's like some male prostitutes that go through the same shit as Felson does. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to go see through their eyes. Honestly, there was a post the other day on the subreddit about mm, feminism in the books, and there was a conversation about mm. sexual assault in the books in the in the thread. And and um, you know, obviously the books talk about sexual assault and prostitution and these things. And I, you know, we're gonna get into it more and more as the series goes on because in these first two books they don't play a major role, right? Yeah. Um, but like in Memories of Ice, it starts to come up more, and then you know, so I think it'll be I'm leery about having the conversation but i'm also excited to have the conversation you know i think it's an important one to have but i don't know obviously it needs to be done in this right way do you know I mean yeah i think that's why he wrote it he like everything he wrote especially in the scene in book nine he he yeah. wrote this thing so people would talk about it and not turn away yeah when they, and, when they see and, right in front of them i have a lot of friends i think that could relate to felson too like they're not prostituting or doing those things but just feel like being in those abusive relationships how they feel like they could be so attached to someone who's so abusive to them and i think that is it it is it is a stunningly it's a heartbreakingly kind of true dynamic right because like that it can be an Mm. element in abusive relationships um yeah so yeah it's i think i think what i why i've always grabbed onto her as one of my favorite characters is because many characters in the series to me channel some of the same vibes do you mean like we're cool warriors of different kinds mm-hmm. you know and yeah. and that's fine like lots of people have different story like that like troll and Ikarium are both cool warriors they have very different stories do you know I mean i'm not here to cast everyone in the same light but yeah. felicin really does kind of fundamentally like there's not many other characters that are that much like her do you know what i mean yeah so i think she's always it's resonated with me that way yeah you know she, she's a very fragile character in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, there's like some characters that are like super epic and bigger than life. And then there's other characters that, oh, I could see this person as being this person that I know in real life. Yeah, she's... Or I could know, or someone that I passed by that could be going what she's going through. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't, yeah. I don't pass a lot of uh, Coltanes on the street necessarily. <laughs> so I, I would love to know how to kind of just, because uh, obviously we're talking about Coltane's, Coltane's death soon and, and Diker's death and all these deaths coming up, right? And yeah. I would love to know how you feel about death in the series and how death is often, I would say, like undone is a word you could say, but reborn. There's a lot of rebirths or false deaths in these ways. To me, I, I don't care about it all, but I was just, yeah. it was really occurring to me this time reading the book. I was like, okay, well, Diker's dead here, but, you know, like we got like, uh, one book before he's brought back to life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So how do you, I, how do you, how does that, does knowing those things change the stakes of something like the chain of dogs for you? I don't think it does. Well, I'll first say that when I first came to those, those death scenes, those were really hard and they retroactively made the entire chain of dogs 
sequence was super cool in my head once I finished the book for the first time. I was like, whoa, this thing happened. I should have been paying more attention to it. Yeah. But knowing they come back later, even though they don't even really come back later in a sense. Like, I think at the end of book two, they already hint at Coltane being reborn. Yeah, they, they do it. It's like the last, the the lot, last beat. Yeah. But I don't think it does take away from my experience at all because they don't truly come back into the story after they come back. Like, Duke is still just in the bar talking. Yeah. Uh, and this is essentially the end of Diker's story, right? Yeah. When they die, they die for real. And either actual dying or it's the end of their part of the story. I, I fully agree. And I think it's it, like there is stakes to death, especially some characters' death do like permanently stick. Do you know what I mean? But. Actually, is there a person that permanently died and come back to fully reintegrate into the story? Uh, not. I can't uh, think of I'd, one, actually. It's tough because there are a lot of characters who die and then come back in this other way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, Whiskey Jack, uh, you know, uh, Tattersail. You know, I'm, uh, yeah. I don't need to list. Keep going. But um, sorry. Now I'm just really caught up in thinking about it. But you know what I mean? And like, I think, <laughs> yeah. I think someone like Silver Fox, and I'm excited to really talk about it next book. Um, exemplifies it where Tattersail dies, but when she comes back, like she's just a fundamentally different character. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think it's that's really interesting. It's very interesting. It, so, so that's I'm really excited to hear because I think um, Josh and Andy, I think they'll really start getting to the series once they see um, familiar characters again. I, I agree. I'm I very how things go. I'm very excited to return to characters we've already spoken about. Do you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Because obviously Deadhouse Gate is just such a scene change, you know, and I admire that. Um, I'm also really, I, I can't wait to talk about every book. You know, I wish we could just sit down and talk about them all right away. But, yeah, you know, it's going to be a while before we get to Toll the Hounds, I mean. That's all I mean. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. So what do you think keeps or makes a, a reader really in some the Malazan series? Like, what what kind of reader does it take to, like, really like the series to get into it? Hmm. It's an interesting question. I've been thinking about it. Um, to me, I think obviously there's a certain amount of work that needs to be done to read the books, right? Yeah. Um, like there, it's it's not easy reading, you know. Um, but I I think for me the stories resonate. I'll speak about my own experience. I think yeah. the re- the reason I felt so drawn to it is not because of the specific story, although that is very pleasurable at times. You know, the plot can be very satisfying. But yeah. I feel like for me, there's thematically and the world, it resonates with me on a fundamental emotional level. Do you mean like I feel like he's yeah, pa- he's painting a world that in some way rings true and speaks to how I feel human life occurs, you know? And I think that's mm. what draws me to the series and, and why I have spent the time with it because... I don't know. It's it's kind of an, a spiritual thing in a way. Um, what about what about you? I think the biggest thing that draws me to the series, like the world itself, like the Malazan world, is as is a almost the strongest character in the whole series. Like, yeah. Every time I think about, it, I keep I keep or like start reading something else, I keep thinking about how the world works and how warrants work or how it feels so lived in. And there's so much details. Like in the Alcatraz itself, you have the chain dogs go through their journey and they're attacked through so many different tribes, like the Sep tribe, the Thansi, sure, sure. Um, Burn Kundal Tears or something like that. And they each, almost each of them have like their own kind of background. He describes how, what their different armor is like, what kind of different ascendants there are. I think the Sep 
tribe had yeah there's the whole semp god yeah they have a whole storyline about it yeah where they had to hunt him down and attach lincoln to someone that's like tied up in belts and things and that was really interesting like i think it's the ambition that keeps me coming back and it's the it, whenever I read another series always in the back of my mind i think this feels like a story that's like seriously really catered to telling a story like a beginning middle end whereas Milan's in series it's like you kind of take it or leave it this is what happens in the in the history and then you just go with it i i do know what you mean and i would almost articulate it as an indifference to me at hand which can be cold in some ways right but it yeah. like the world is not screaming out to explain the story to me. Do you mean the world is there and the story is also going on? And yeah, sometimes Erickson will go out of his way to explain the world and maybe the history of certain things. But it's the history isn't there for the story to occur, you know? Um, yeah. And, and that is very interesting. And I think it presents, you know, there's... There's a very old, ancient nature to the world, which I've always appreciated. Yeah, I think that's like how he delivers all the info drops. Because people will say it's really difficult with the info drops, but I feel like rereading it, I feel like there was a lot. And I mean, even reading the first time, I felt like there was a lot of info drops that kind of explain how things work. It, and it's very funny you say that. I, like, I feel, sorry to cut you off. Yeah, go ahead. I feel the same way reading through it the second time especially like a book like Garns of the Moon. Reading Gar- Gar- Garns of the Moon, yeah. saying, I was like, oh, he's explaining everything to me. There's a ton of exposition <laughs> yeah. in this book. And yeah. God knows I did not feel that way the first two times I tried to read the book. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I think it's like almost what you're saying about the holds. Um, it's just when you know what's important, it maybe stands out yeah. a little more. Yeah, I feel like it feels even more um, organic the way they have info dumps too because it's always in conversation from one character to the other it only comes up when you need to when the characters need to know so you only learn as the characters now yeah so i don't feel as bad not being in the dark about how the world works because even the characters don't know either which is good because ultimately like we're not gods we're experiencing the world through the characters so we're limited to their information you know yeah it's always like a, there's always a fun sense of like discovery every time i come back like even while i was like reviewing for Dados Gates for this podcast, I was like learning things like how there's an entire temple city for the first shapeshifters that stem from the first empire yeah. trying to obtain ascendancy, but in a different way. And it was just really fun just like finding small facts sprinkled throughout and how it like retroactively shapes how you remember the series and what happens in it. It makes me think about how, like, to the uh, to the to the point that you only know what the characters know. It makes me think about it stands out this time that there's this sequence in like the middle of the book where they're discussing what Iskarl Pust's plan is, and it's like a very meta thing. You know, it's like yeah. you there's three characters sitting around discussing what could be going on in the book. You know, and yeah. It's very interesting to have the dialogue of figuring out the book to be in the book. You know, it's it's uh, I think it's part of that element that that kind of mm, postmodern element of the series, you know. Yeah, I always love those parts because I feel like it was like Erickson being witty with themselves like, oh, I'm going to read your guys mind and see how you guys feel about this character through these other characters. Yeah, it's like he knows we know, you know, and that's the that's yeah. the whole j- the, the shtick in some way. Right. Yeah, there's always quips here and there about not knowing things and being in the dark 
And it's just really funny when it does, because that does happen often. Speaking of some things that stand out, and then maybe we'll start wrapping up. But um, the, near uh, near the end of the book, there was some line that stood out to me in fire this time. They were talking about the Azath houses, and they were like, and who built them? Where they ever come from? We'll never know. And then they just kept going on. And I was like, huh. <laughs> and, and of course, the first time I read that, I didn't think anything of it. But, you know, obviously... Yeah. I don't know. Obviously, in, it's a like a foreshadowing the second time through, you know. Yeah. What do you think of the nameless ones? I think they're very interesting. Um, and uh, I guess there's this way. Well, do you have a big nameless ones opinion? I think they're sort of like they're almost like evil to the point it's comical. Like I think they follow. This is gonna be super spoiler, but I think they follow the Azath, and even the Azath don't really want them, and no one really wants them around. Yeah, uh, they just kind of toot their own horn and inject themselves whenever they can, and to make themselves feel important. And this is really funny. I, I I do know what you mean, and I think what's funny about them, especially when I think about them as a cult, right? Like, yeah, there's a way in this for this setting that is really, like really divorced from a type of typical fantasy for me, you know. But then yeah. when I write it down on paper, sometimes or when I'm writing the summaries, I'm like, well, the god of they're talking to the god of war, or they're like talking to a mysterious cult. It like if I'm like, oh, okay, there is like a very we are still channeling with these fantasy vibes and these fantasy tropes. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, like I don't know, like I know Hood is the god of death, but I don't really, I don't know, like. Every fantasy setting has a death god, but Hood feels different in some way. Do you know what I mean? Hood does feel different because he's kind of like a sarcastic dick. Yeah, Hood's got his own. You can't help but like a bit. You can't help but like him a bit too, and it's just his own character. Yeah, there's like they they just have our personified characters that they'd only be like entities in other books. Yeah, and so it gave them personalities and things that make them super interesting and. He wants to know more about them and follow them. There's there's a very human element to some of the gods, too, which is obviously a big part of the series, especially talking about the crippled god, right? Um, yeah. All right. Well, listen, we 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 went a little long. We we didn't always hit stay on the dead house gates topic, but, <laughs> you know, we, we covered, hope, hopefully, I'll say this, and then I'll, I would love to hear what you think about it. Mm, close yeah. thoughts about dead house gates. For me, the book... It's tough because I feel like for Gardens of the Moon, my opinion of the book changed so much um, in that, like, I finally understood the book. I don't know if I still I don't know if I love the book, but like it at least makes sense to me a lot more. And I understand it, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's like I was really coming to at it for the first reread in this totally different way where Deadhouse Gates, I already pretty much understood and loved the book, you know. So it was a very different aspect to come at it from rereading. And for me... I don't know if the book changed that my opinion changed that much. I thought it was a great book. I still think it's a great book. You know, I just appreciate different things mm-hmm. about it. You know, I, it's still amongst one of my favorites in the series. I don't think it's my favorite, but it's it's easily in the top four or five. You know, it's I think it's a spectacular yeah. book. So it's tough. It feels like there's less of a differential. Do you know what I mean? It feels like I'm having less a dramatic a reevaluation because I already liked the book. But it was definitely. I think that's bound to happen, though. Yeah, I, I don't think every one of rereading these things is gonna radically change the. I mean, I already think Memories of Ice is like a perfect book, so I don't know what rereading it is gonna change my mind about. I think it just reinforces what you liked about in the first place. There's so much more that you know the basic base story to each book, and then there's so much more things to add to the overall story. Yeah, and the world itself. And I just, I just feel like I'm appreciating it more. You know what I mean? Like I, I the things mm-hmm. I liked, I like more, and the things that kind of. Passed me by the first time. I'm kind of paying more attention to. So, 
still still love the book and it's one of my favorites to the series um any any closing dead house gates thoughts from you tommy yeah it's definitely a book that i wasn't too much a fan of when i first read it but it became top five when i reread it and actually planning out the maps in the companion guides and really understanding how the combat worked and how much more information about the first empire and how things appeared for the Soul Taken and Divers. There's so much history to be brought up. It's just so much fun to reread these first books again over and over again. So it sounds like you really get, did kind of have a reevaluatory experience. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Like after um, seeing Coltane's End to the Chan Dogs and the first time, it made me want to reread the book, but not immediately. And now I got to experience it again. And now I can see all the bad things, badass things he did. Yo, and especially like from drop one, it is so clear the whole chain of dogs is going to end in disaster. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and the first time through, I kept being like, nah, they're going to, we got it. But like literally the every every sentence, they are like, also everyone's going to die. And, and everyone's like, no, 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 we're not going to die. <laughs> you know, it's, it's very clear, you know? It was such a exhausting thing to read through. Yeah, Spirit, both spiritually and emotionally. And I think it, time. I think it's because Erickson does a great job of transferring that experience of exhaustion and of the literal march to to the reader. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All righty. Well, that'll probably do us for here on this uh, wrap up show. Um, uh, Tommy, thanks for coming on. Of course. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, and uh, for for those who haven't seen it, Tommy has put together these companion guides with uh, chapter summaries and, and pictures from uh, each part of the book. We, we'll include a link in the show notes. Uh, we reference them all the time. We've we've referenced them before. They're they're great if you're trying to keep track of what's going on. So uh, honestly, I haven't recorded the rest of the episodes yet. So these will be coming out at some time, and uh, I'm looking forward to starting Memories of Ice. I guess. There you go. I'm super excited. I'm super excited to hear you guys think. Oh, I can't and wait. We guys getting through it again. There's so much to look forward to. Yeah, and that's it's 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 such a treat because basically, I mean, I, I like you know like House of Chains. I like less than some of the other books, right? But because mm-hmm. but that's everyone. There's everyone has some ranking, right? But like three is great, five is great, six is great. And it's, you know, it's like I don't know. It's just there's nothing. Obviously, I like the series. I'm excited to talk about it, right? <laughs> yeah. Alrighty. Well, uh, anyway, tweet at us. We're at 10 Very Big Books. We're at 10 Very Big Books on Gmail, too. Um, let us know what you think of the show, uh, and we'll hope to hear from you soon. See ya. Have a good night. Hello, everyone. Producer AJ here early in the morning with Peter. What's up, Peter? Mm, I'm here. I've been here before. <laughs> uh, I'm Welcome. Almost speaking way too much in this podcast so i just need to get a little extra peter in there yeah yeah there's not enough what's up pete well i'm here and you know why so nice facade yes. nice try not gonna pull <laughs> it past me it's... but what i was yeah. gonna prompt you to say is you know um aj works uh on a few other shows and a few other shows he has um have discord communities that talk about the podcast and related things and you know they're they're multi-purpose and uh aj had a thought yeah uh i think it would be cool for us to have uh, a discord for this show um there's a lot that i feel like this community could talk about uh if we had like a direct line to them between us as as podcast people and them as a the listening community uh i think it could be a really interesting thing we've had some people on twitter be like ah i really love that that i'm hearing you guys talk about this and i think it would be cool uh if 
we could interact directly with people. There's been some Reddit posts about the show, and I think that would be cool if those could be conversations that we could all have together. And I, I, uh, I talking to people's cool. Of course, I'm all pro it. Talking between the community, especially between different listeners, fun. Um, however, those conversations are have been going on and are going on right now on Twitter. We've been trying to tweet a lot more, uh, talking to a lot of people on there. It's it's been a good time, and uh, conversations going on Reddit as well. But uh, not everyone's on those sites. Everyone's different places. So um, before we really made any steps vis-a-vis this Discord, I guess I came into this area, this area, like it's a physical space. <laughs> My space. Uh, I came, I came, I fronted up on AJ so we could have this conversation and just basically ask if anyone, uh, like, try and gauge interest, you know, trying yeah. to read the room. Yeah, uh, we would love to hear from you guys if you want to email us. 10 very big books at gmail.com or if you just want to tweet at us uh, or if you want to make a reddit post about it anything um, we want to know if this is something that you want before we go ahead with it so please let us know you also could send AJ a letter and he'll tell yeah. you where he lives right now mm-hmm. the North Pole so wait are you gonna are you gonna cut in your actual address later with editing uh, yeah definitely I will absolutely uh, all right just tell you all right, all right let's get on with the thank yous I know you yeah. have some normal thanks you to do but um yeah. The spoiler cast obviously had Tommy on it, and um, Total Chiller, great time. Loved having him on the show. Uh, he's, I think he's done a lot of great work for the Malzahn community. I think those companion guides are over the moon. We use them on the show. We use them to talk about on the show, and I know a lot of people have found them to be great. There's links in the description if you want to find them, and I would encourage anyone who's reading the first three books to consider using the companion guides if they want some pictorial references. I mean, I just think they're so well-rounded. Yeah, so thank you, Tommy. Thanks. All right, Pete, uh, I think I can handle the rest of this on my own, so. Thanks very much, as always, to Dan Gezerick for making our spectacular logo. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan Gezerick for the hottest bachelor party takes. And of course, the wonderful music in today's episode is by the one and only Amaranthin from their album The New Romantic, which you can find along with their other music on bandcamp.com. Links to their pages will be in the show notes, and 10 Very Big Books will be back next week on February 7th with a very, very special episode. Willful Child, to space we go! To space! (laughs) Thank you very much, Pete, and thank you so much for listening.